0: Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Financial Father and Son podcast where we explore the various ways the younger generation can achieve financial independence. Hi guys, it's Jay here from the Financial Father and Son podcast. Hope you guys are all well. But I want to talk about a few different topics this week. As I did last week and have been for the past couple of weeks, whatever's really trending Whatever I think about it, I want to share with you guys and I hope that sparks you know conversation amongst yourselves and also back to me. You know, you can always message me or, or email me either via Twitter or email to to spark conversation or advise topics that you want to talk about or want to be talked about on the podcast. But following on from last week, the the FinCEN files. I've had to think about it and more news has come out. It doesn't affect the average person as it was known last week. This is just news about the elites, so to speak, exploiting or getting around the system, the banking system, I guess. It doesn't really affect us, as in I'm talking about us meaning normal people. And what can we do to stop it? Nothing really. It will probably always happen. You know, the the only reason we found out about these, um, money laundering and, and, and suspicious activities taking place in the banking system is because of a leak. We wouldn't have found out if that leak wasn't there. It's more of actually thinking about it now. The leak happened from FinCEN, which stands for the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. It's a, it's a government, US government agency. And it's more, the issue there is that while there's a leak within that organization or that agency, that's more of the the issue for, for the US, for that agency. It's good for the general public to know, I think, because it forces those agencies and the whole banking kind of system to look a bit more in detail over each transaction and not let everything slide through as smoothly as it has been and it has been shown from these leaks so overall it will probably do good for uh, us normal people more security involved more secure transactions Uh, but yeah it's 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 just another like the panama papers came out like say snowden when he released all his um all the information from was it the tsa Oh, the nSA sorry it, it's another one of those, so it's it's always good to to find out this information and it's interesting to see what goes on behind closed doors because most industries are very shut off from you know the, the real information everybody wants to know you'll never really know unless there's a leak you'll may you may hear about it you know talked talk about it under the table, Twitter whatever here and there, but there's nothing really to confirm it unless something like this comes out where where you actually see the files you see the documents you see exactly or you see this confidential information that has been leaked so yeah as you'd expect leaking this sort of confidential us government information is not legal um, and it holds a fine and i've just looked it up and under the the bank secrecy act uh nineteen seventy. It this crime or this this action of leaking details of a SAR, which is a suspicious activity report, or SAR, you could say, holds a fine of up to quarter of a million dollars, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is you could say two hundred thousand pounds, just under, I think. Which is a lot of money i don't know who will i don't know if they'll find that person who leaked it i i I know that the information was leaked to buzzfeed the media company and and they were the ones who formally broke the news to the world so i guess now that the government knows it was a buzzfeed that were the first to to publicize this they can i guess maybe they can not charge BuzzFeed, but they can get that information of who leaked it to them from BuzzFeed, but it's not really that important of information um, for us. In other news, which or or what car actually I'm looking at, whatcar.com did a survey on, on reliability of cars and it's based off the experience of 13,000 owners and the, most the, the most unreliable brand will probably come to a surprise to some people other people may have expected it but it's actually Land Rover so I guess that includes Range Rovers as well Land Rover and Range Rovers but it's quite surprising um, Tesla was two spots above Land Rover in the list are so still quite far down the list and you know those two brands are, are fairly expensive brands to get into yet they are the most unreliable cars some of the most unreliable cars at least um the most reliable brand was lexus followed by mitsubishi and then toyota i i expect yeah i expect come i expect toyota to be up there they're fairly they're very reliable lexus is the luxury version of toyota so like most stuff Most of the chassis and, or the chassis, the, and and I guess the engine, most of it is all Toyota, but just branded as Lexus. Um, And Mitsubishi, yeah. I've never, I've not heard, you know, too much bad about them. Yeah. So it's interesting that the most expensive cars, as I'm looking at this list, the the more expensive brands actually are further down the list. So there's 31 ranks, or it's a rank of 31. And, you know, the top 10 include companies like manufacturers like Toyota, Mini, Skoda, Hyundai, Kia, Honda, uh, and Mazda. And then the bottom 10 include companies like Jaguar, Audi, Porsche, Mercedes, Tesla, Land Rover. So, I mean, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit weird, right? That, That the most, the more luxurious cars, the more expensive cars are towards the bottom. And the the cheaper, um, less luxurious, are, are much more reliable at the top. Now, who knows, that may be, I don't know, that may be because the, the more expensive brands make you replace stuff more often than you need to. I don't know, <laughs> I'm not making any accusations, but it may be the case. Um, you know, if you take it to, if you take your, I guess a Mercedes owner or a Porsche owner, for example, if a small thing is wrong with your car, but the car's still drivable, a Porsche owner is probably more likely to to change that part and, and get it fully 100% working than a Toyota. This is not off any data. This is off my personal opinion, so I may well be wrong. Um, I mean, a car that, a car manufacturer that we've had quite a lot in our family is Jaguar. We've had quite a few and, um, over the years, obviously, um, and Jaguars are not, in our experience, they have been very, uh, let's say expensive to maintain, you know, things go wrong so often on Jaguars. Um, and and then like, we don't drive them crazy. Like we're not racing them around, um, Goodwood circuit. Um, We are driving it normally, you know, taking the car to schools, uh, taking the car to shopping centers and things like that. But things tend to go wrong quite often on these Jaguars, you know, air suspension, that's a, that's a pricey fix, air conditioning, evaporators, things like that. They're all pricey to, to fix. And, and it's, I guess when you buy a brand like that, you, you've got to expect, you've got to expect that to happen. and things to go wrong as they do. I'm just looking up now the average cost of running a car in the UK and this is from, this is 2020 data. The article was written on the 16th of August and it's on the website nimblefins.co.uk. I'll link it in the show notes. And apparently the average car running cost in the UK, including purchasing and depreciation, is 3,109 or 3,107 pounds per year, which is a lot less than I thought considering, I mean, I've seen financing deals for more than three, 400 pound a month on most cars I've seen online and stuff. Um, I guess this includes people buying secondhand as well, uh, because not everyone buys brand new. But and that brings me onto a topic, actually, of financing financing cars as well. I don't know if I agree with. I mean, it's good that it's off it's offered financing cars because it can be used to in, in, in an advantage in an in, in in a advantageous way. Sorry, got a bit of uh, got my tongue in a twist there. It can be used to advantage. You say if you know if you were going to spend, let's say 20 grand on a car and you, you had the cash to buy that car, instead of putting all that cash into something that's depreciating, you could say, put that 20K into the markets and the stock market, I say, and finance the car because more, most of the time the the interest rate of your financing deal is going to be less than the average stock market returns. Obviously the stock market doesn't go up every year, but on average it does. So you, you, you'll tend to be better off, uh, over, uh, over, over, over time, as opposed to just putting that 20,000 pounds into buying the car outright. But I guess it, also then depends on what you want to do some people like for example my dad uh he likes the idea of paying something off he doesn't like he, he's not got a good uh, he don't like debt so if any if he can avoid it in any way he will so if that means um, paying cash for something and, and instead of financing it he'll pay cash even if you know he could technically make more or, or the car could cost him less if he were to put the money in the markets and then just pay it monthly off. Um, but you know, it, each is, each is their own. It depends on, on, on what you want. I don't think I would finance a car brand new, especially, um, I don't even know if I'll need a car anytime soon because public transport is good. Obviously this COVID situation has made public transport a bit less convenient and less, um, you don't wanna go on public transport if if you can avoid it, right? Because of all this COVID and stuff. You know, even before this COVID thing began, going on the underground in London, it was, you still, you know, you, you touch the rails, you, you knew it was a bit dirty because think about it. There's no one really cleaning those during the day. Maybe, uh, at night, you know, when the, the train is, is put back into, I don't know where they keep them. Maybe the train garage, um, they're cleaned then, but throughout the day, there's thousands of people, tens of thousands of people getting on and off of the, those trains. You don't know where their hands have been. And, and I used to think that before COVID. So, I haven't been on the train yet, uh, since this pandemic has started. Um, I think the last time I got, I mean, I got on the train, the last time was probably like February or maybe January or something. So, you know, Corona was about then, but it wasn't, I don't think it was as big of a, a deal in our minds. And especially in England, it, it hadn't uh, yet come over or, or wasn't as big as it is currently. But yeah, public transport is, is great, especially in in England, London, especially actually, you've got buses, you've got trains, you've got bikes, everything you really need to get about, they, they provide that for you. So there isn't much of a need. And also then London is, is crazy with parking and, and traffic trying to get in and out of London in rush hour is just not worth it in my opinion. Um, especially if you're driving, maybe if you've got a cab or something like that, then yeah, you don't have to sit through the traffic, but then that's more, more expensive depending on, on where you come from, um, from outside of London or, or wherever you're coming from. Um, you know, public transport, like trains and underground in, in London, they work very well. They're very efficient, um, in the sense that they're, they're always on time. They're, they're not late or if they're late, they're late by a minute or two. It's not crazy delays, you know, crazy delays will happen. Of course, if there's an unintended incident or something, you know, someone, you know, drops something on the tracks or jumps on the tracks or whatever, I don't know, then that's going to cause some delays, but most of the time they're there on time. So that's why I think I will be fine with just using public transport as opposed to, you know, buying a car and I, if I do need a car, worst case, I'll just use my parents' cars. I've got, uh, I've got a choice then, and, and I, I don't need the car as much as say someone who was using it for everything. I'll, I'll just need it if I'm, you know, maybe going to the shops or going uh, out for a bit. Not there won't be a routine of me needing it, so that's why I say I will opt for public transport or taxis or whatever it is for now. Another reason why I say I, I would go for public transport is because cars are just sat idle, like 90, I think it's 96% of the time. I, I read the stat a few days ago. I think it was that cars are used only 4% of the time, which it makes sense because, you know, you drive to work, maybe that's half an hour. You park the car, sat there idle, um, go home, maybe half an hour. Maybe after work, you go to the shops, maybe 10 minute drive there and back 20 minutes, let's say you use the car for an hour and a half during the day, then the other 22 and a half hours, it's sat idle. It's, it's not doing anything. So it's not efficient really. It's more efficient to, you know, if we're talking about resources and I guess from an economics point of view, you would say use a service like Lyft or Uber or what's another one? There's a few more, but I forget the names. That's a more efficient use of the the, the car resource, right? Because those, those Uber drivers are in their cars most of the times. So obviously, the ones that are, I'm talking about the ones that are Uber drivers for a living, not the ones that do it, you know, an hour a day or something. But the ones that do it full time for a living, their cars will be out like, let's say 50% of the day. Um, or maybe that's a bit much, not going to be out for 12 hours a day, but you, you get the point. And also, you know, ride sharing services, the big advantage, um, for me is not being tied to, you know, paying for purchasing a car, say whether that's monthly payments or outright, uh, and also it's kind of like a, it's like your personal driver. If you think about it, you know, you order it on the app then depending on where you are, it varies. But in most cases you'll have a car outside your door or or wherever you, you order it to within five or 10 minutes. And you know, you get in the car, it, the driver drives you. You don't have to have a conversation if you don't want to, um, you get out, you don't have to deal with parking. You know, you just, you can get out exactly where you need to go as opposed to, parking the car say five minute walk from where you need to be um so yeah it saves you time in that aspect and allows you to be more efficient with your schedule say for example a journey takes uh 20 minutes from for where you have to go you know if you're driving a car yourself you may walk over to the car five minutes before you intend to leave or something like that start the car uh, get in it drive to your place but you have to anticipate okay it might take me 10 minutes or 15 minutes to find a parking space depending on where you're looking if it's central london then maybe leave half an hour just in case um then you've got to find a parking space and then you've got to factor in okay that parking space might be a bit of a distance from where i actually have to meet that person or go in the end so you know, it, it adds a lot more time driving yourself, and and that's a, an advantage that the, the ride-sharing applications really provide to us. I recently listened to an interview with the Lyft co-founder, or maybe it was the founder, I forget, but uh, he was also mentioning that ride-sharing services will start to offer a subscription, the subscription model, as you know, most other industries have you know, instead of paying on demand for all your, your rides to wherever you go with the ride sharing app, whether that be Uber or Lyft or whoever it is, you pay a, in in the, in Lyft's point of view, they were saying you would pay a flat fee as a subscription every month. And then you get say a 20% discount on all your rides, um, which depending on how much the, the the fee is per month and depending on how much you use the 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 ride sharing service then it may make sense for you or it may just make sense for you to continue on demand but um it would be interesting you know if they fully subscriptionized if that's even a word i don't think that's a word but if they fully subscriptionized the, the the ride sharing service whereby you pay say Uh, or you just pay a fee depending on they'll have different packages. So, you know, say it's, uh, you use the service for, I don't know, a hundred miles a month, then you pay 200 pounds or something like that. And if you use 200 miles a month, maybe you pay 350 pounds or whatever it is that I don't know if the math is that good on those or those numbers may be a bit high. Um, but those, that sounds quite interesting to be honest, um, because, not only is that good for the company because they've got you know cash they could properly forecast their, their their cash flow and they've got money coming in all the time, but it's good for the the user if the math works behind you know how many miles they do and the cost per mile and and what the alternative is for the user but I don't know it's just just ideas coming out of my my mouth right now. It will also be very interesting to see how these ride sharing applications or ride sharing companies services adapt to the full self-driving or the, the autonomous cars being on the road obviously that's that in my opinion it feels like it's 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 quite a bit away until you know every car is autonomous on the road because you know i i looked this up a few years ago i remember i was i was doing a project on this and you can't have it's very difficult to have computers and humans driving on the same roads because computer behavior is extremely different to human behavior computers you know they 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 don't make human errors and things like that so it's it's not safe uh to or it's not the safest to have both um human drivers and autonomous you know ai driving on the same roads there may be a lot more accidents so it it really will have to be either all um fully autonomous cars or all human drivers and it could happen the fully autonomous route where every car is fully autonomous at the same time you know realistically does that seem like that's going to happen anytime soon by that i mean like in 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 that time frame, I frame, I mean something like say 10 years, I don't think it will happen in 10 years, um, in say the UK, for example, uh, it may work in this, in, in a, another way it could work would be, you know, having certain roads that are just for autonomous vehicles. So certain motorways that are just for autonomous vehicles and other motorways which are just for, or other motorways slash roads that are just for human drivers because then it, it could work. But I mean, for the UK's point of view, are, is the UK government or English government, for example, England, are they going to go out and build New motorways just for autonomous cars is going to be very expensive and time consuming and approval. There's, there's not a lot of space, you know, especially, um, down South in England or London area. I'm, I'm more talking about, but we'll see what happens. It's an interesting time. It's an interesting topic. Um, it's interesting. I say it's interesting, which it is, uh, but it is a slow growing topic in the sense that, I mean, Tesla's, for example, i remember reading back in 2014 or 15 or data from 2014 or 15 i think or maybe it was 2016 i can't remember but around that time let's say it's 2015 all tesla's released after 2015 had the hardware for fully autonomous driving so you didn't need the human behind there right they had the hardware and i think last year it was which i'll try and find the video and link it in the 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 show notes or the podcast description but last year tesla released a video of one of their cars being driven fully autonomously from point a to point b you know before this obviously car, uh, teslas could drive uh, semi-autonomously slash autonomously on motorways and stuff but this video was showing the car going from the garage of point a to the, the parking spot of point B and navigating all through the roads. And it wasn't motorway driving. It was, you know, downtown LA, um, traffic lights everywhere, other human drivers. Um, it didn't make a mistake, but that was only one video. I'm, I'm sure over, that's a very small sample site. So I'm sure over, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 uh, journeys like that, the car would have made some mistakes. But um, it's it's interesting to see that we have the technology, we have the software and the hardware currently. But it's just it's just a matter of regulation changing, and and consumer behavior changing. Because you can't you know it's difficult to go and say to to consumers, listen, starting from next year, um, all cars are going to be autonomous. So you got to go buy a car. Obviously, they wouldn't do it like that. They'd probably do it over a, you know a ten year gradual ease them over. But still, you know, it's. Some people like driving cars. Uh, Are all people going to accept that? You know, not everybody. As we've seen with all these protests happening currently, and and coronavirus and all this stuff, and everybody is, everyone has different opinions. And and now this year twenty twenty has made it so much more acceptable for everybody to voice their opinion across. Not to say that that's wrong or anything. I I don't have any. I'm neutral on that. Uh, You know, in some situations I think it's good. In others I think it's not the best. But you know it it will probably spark some sort of protest but let's wait and see well we'll see what happens with regards to the autonomous cars so yeah i hope you enjoyed this episode and i will see you next week take care guys